Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, to places a dive, and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 405, is recorded live May 16th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side, great state where we are getting our 40 days of rain. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Doctor. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, you're, I got a little bit of a reverb on you just a few moments ago. Ah, yeah. It, well, I'm going to blame the weather. It's, uh, it's raining here and the dogs are all upset. I've had one heck of a thunder area. I think I had one roll must have lasted 10 seconds. Wow. Oh, just it was of, awesome. Was it one of those that started off low and built up or just yep. started? And, yep. yep. No, it just started and built up and it's like, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're insignificant compared to the weather sometimes. Well, uh, you know, the, 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 all that rain just means we're going to have more water to go diving in. Uh, have you looked at any of the pictures? Well, I don't think I posted any. Niles? No. No, what's Niles looking the like? The road is blocked off because it's flooded. Ooh. Um, yeah, the pier is basically underwater. Mm-hmm. Where you normally would turn around is underwater. The uh, bathroom or the porta potty is moved up by the fence. <laughs> they're not going to lose another one? Uh, well, they're not going to lose that one. Uh, but yeah, it's and fast. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we've we've been soggy for a while now. It just hasn't uh, yeah. really dry. I've I've been keeping up on the lawn mowing for people who are keeping track. Uh, I, I think I've been mowing about every three to four days. I got half my yard done before it started raining again. Yeah, I did the. Uh, Yesterday, I, I, I blew a tire. Well, I didn't blow a tire. It just didn't hold the bead anymore. So I took that in and finally got it back yesterday. Uh, I then was able to kind of hit the spots I had, had to give up on a couple days earlier. But, uh, yeah, I, I figure if I keep up on the lawn enough, is it kind of like you can build up? So, like, you can, if you mow it, like, 20 times in a row, go a month. I don't think it works that way. It would be all right, though. I'm going to try to see what that is. Well, let's yeah, you, go ahead. I was what? trying to say, you went reverb on me again there. Ah, I said I had to had to see what the boss said. Does anybody else hear that besides me? Because it could just be interplay between us. Yeah, they're, they're hearing it just a touch. So it's, uh, okay. my, my signal's showing not too bad, but that's no indication. I don't always trust it. Says I have an average ping of seventy six milliseconds and last ping was sixty seven. I think they're lying to me. Oh, here it goes. It's gonna go slow right there. Do I re did I just reverb? No. Okay. Or if you did, I didn't hear it. Okay. Oh they they give you there's a little bit of debugging log there. But I'm gonna stop uh I think once I get through some of these articles, I have all the articles preloaded, so it may be very good. 
slowing us down a little bit, but I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. As soon as I pull that back up, we have uh, the normal diehards. Get myself back in the correct audio. I jumped out for a second. There. Yeah, I was going to say, you went away when you said that. <laughs> I go away, but Craig's still there, so we're still good. But that like to thank, uh, we have Derek and Eric showing up. This first article we have here, I'm not even sure where it's from. It's uh, the Daily Mail, which is out in the UK, is, is uh, doing this. I think in Australia, it says a schizophrenic ice addict who stormed the shop in a, in a scuba mask and a high-vis while wielding a hammer was desperate for money to pay a drug debt. Michael <laughs> Anthony Reed threatened a female sta- staff and stole $1,014 in cigarettes from News Express in Perth, Silver Sands Shopping Center on June 5th. What the heck? How can it be on June 5th? The article's from the 13th of May. Yeah, I see that. How can he? It said updated. It said updated. Well, it was published. Yeah, it was published the the same time, though. What the heck is that about? Yeah, I'm. I'm, Let's say it's May 5th because I'm. I'm thinking that something went a little haywire. Uh, the 34-year-old who said he needed to pay a $200 drug debt was eventually tackled by footy players. Now, is that a game? <laughs> you got me. The only thing I can think of soccer players it's in the U.K. Uh, well, this is oh, – yeah. uh, so let's, let's see. We've, we've, we've got uh, an expert. Uh, maybe he'll uh, be able to explain it to us. You know, if, if, if you're living in the Southern Hemisphere, you must know everything about that. Uh, this uh, the added, addict, which with drugs, it must be ice, must be a term for drugs, had not taken medication to treat his mental illness when he raided the store, the Western Union Supreme Court Herald. CCTV showed reaching the shop's counter in a mask. An employee told him, take it off. <laughs> well, that, that's a good strategy. Uh, Reed refused and pulled out a hammer before two staff ran away as another crouched down in fear. The robber was seen jumping over the counter, stealing cash from their stern cigarettes. Reed was chased by a couple of footy players again from the local team and another man in a car park before being tackled to the ground. Reed lives just 10 minutes from the store where there was a female worker who was only 16. He planned the robbery carefully by carrying a rod and bucket so onlookers would get the impression he was going fishing. <laughs> Reed had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as qualified for the insurance scheme. Did you see the picture? Yeah, I did. That's why I... Now that I, makes... But, but what the heck do they call that? A high-vis? High-vis must be the shirt. Yeah, you because know, it's uh, like a bright color. Yeah, yellow or orange. But... That's he, not a scuba mask. <laughs> it's, a, it's a It's a hood. And he needed his dive buddy to actually help him get that on correctly because it's up in the back. And as we know, that the cold water would go underneath that and you'd be a little chilly. Uh, Justice Bianca gave Reed a three-year conditional set, uh, suspended sentence after considering the extent of his mental health problems. He had suffered severe head injuries in a motorbike accident. I cannot regard your uh, offending as impulsive. I don't accept this. Uh, the judge said. However, the broad sensory disorder may affect your judgment, your condition, the minor factor in your offending. 
One worker at the news agent still suffering anxiety following the incident where she was left with an injured hip and knee as she tried to run from the scene. It's always the innocence to get hurt. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if this could have been June 5th of last year and that they're just reporting on the sentencing or the, going to trial. I don't know how quick things happen down there. You know, up here that could actually be take a year from when it happened or maybe it was May 5th and they just now have gone through it. I'm looking at a reader comment that says not a good or fair outcome. Doesn't get locked up. He's likely to do it again. Trying yeah. to see if there's a date for it, but there wasn't. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the way they, so this must be their form of like aid or social security is a national disability insurance scheme. I'm not thinking scheme is really good branding <laughs> for that. NDIS. Yeah. It must have not been wearing oh, a helmet when it crashed. Yeah. yeah our our in chat room expert says footy is Australian rules football. Shirt is high visibility. All our tradesmen and factory workers wear them for safety. We, we've got something similar. Uh, it's usually designated by the the code in the rules for the visibility, but it's uh, uh, they te- you tend to see them. Uh, they'll be like an orange vest, and then they'll have this 3M reflective tape on it. And uh, that's a requirement of the law that it be that high visibility. We don't. You don't see them in factories, except for when you're, you know, truck drivers or, uh, not saying EMTs, but law enforcement, um, tow truck drivers. I'll I'll typically wear those. Yeah, high visibility. About the only place where you have the colors is on an aircraft carrier, fuelers, armorers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ours. I don't think the color mattered. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. On aircraft carriers, different, different roles. Yeah. Yes. Then here's an article out of Florida. It says, you've probably heard all about the helium shortage going on right now. How is it impacting daily life? It's forced many patients for months to change birthday and party plans due to shortage of helium for balloons. But it's also affecting more than just celebrations, also affecting the scuba diving industry. For deep sea scuba divers, helium is needed to protect themselves in deeper water. Those diving 190 feet or deeper mix helium into their tanks, uh, but some use it even at 150 feet, which uh, it goes much deeper than that. 78% of the air we breathe is nitrogen. The deeper you go, the, it becomes narcotic, according to Peter Friedman of uh, Stuart Scuba. So we take a nitrogen out of the gas we breathe and put helium in, which tends to be less narcotic. Stuart Scuba is a hot spot for deep-sea divers like uh, Sean Robotica, uh, to get everything they need, they shop, even helps train, educate BBC and National Geographic photographers, and they need to document underwater environment. There are actual dives in this area, which is one of the reasons why I teach down here. They range anywhere from 198 feet to 330 feet. Helium prevents nitrogen, narcosis, and dives. As you can imagine, going deeper dives, a clear head is really important. Uh, it says, due to helium shortages, some local shops said they have to switch vendors because finding the gas is getting harder. Uh, it says, helium is the most abundant gas in the universe, and there's not a lot of it on Earth. Freeman said, luckily, he uses enough helium that he has no problems obtaining it from a good source. He has directly through distributor. Nice thing is we use 
Matheson Gas, which is a major distributor here, they have a cracking plant here, he said. But costs are going up, which can't be controlled. It's getting to a point where it's getting fairly expensive to fill up a set of double tanks. Some shops are no longer carrying, hel- carrying helium. Friedman says he typically pays between $150 to $170 for 220 tank helium. He used to pay $70 at one point. Now some tanks the same size can cost as much as $300 in short, if this, as the shortage continues. To help save in cost, divers are switching to a dice called rebreathers, which uses a smaller tank of helium and recirculates it during the dive. It constantly uses the same gas over and over and over again, says Friedman. Divers are able to get two or three dives out of one rebreather where a double tank of helium mixture lasts just one dive. Then they go on and talk a little bit more. One thing I was wondering, because they're using helium in the space industry, and I'm sure that a large rocket <laughs> uses a, a tvit. I wonder if that's impacting the helium availability. I didn't know rockets use helium. Yeah, they use it for almost the same reason that divers do, is it, it's uh, an inert gas, and they can use it... Uh, <laughs> You know, they they can mix it with fuels and it doesn't react. Or, you know, they'll they'll have a bladder, and the other side they'll put helium because it's you know it's not going to explode. Um, well, CO two doesn't expo- explode, and I use that. Yeah, I think they are uh, changing to different gases. I I saw something that they're actually looking at nitrogen, but hmm. yeah, uh, because I know a few years back we had a, a pretty big helium shortage, and then the uh, Party City just closed 150 stores, and they were claiming that the uh, shortage uh, called them to shut down. I didn't know airbags use helium either. Do they really? Oh, that's what one of the articles said there. Huh. That's what had me. I'm saying what. And I thought they used I, like an explosive. I didn't realize they used any helium. Well, you got to fill up that airbag with something. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what would, it is. Though. The, I didn't think would it was the hot that. smoldering gas that you've ignited uh, take care of that? Just use hydrogen. In the history of transportation, nothing bad's happened with hydrogen. <laughs> Just as long as you put it in a big enough bag. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, put put some flammable glue on the outside of it just for good measure. I don't know of anybody around here who's using helium very much. Do you? No. I mean, Um, trimix, unless you're doing trimix, and I've not seen how they have been using that in rebreathers around. Yeah, I mean, rebreathers will will use it in a trimix situation, but just uh, you're just using that as your uh, breathing gas. you better well, have some oxygen in there because you're not going to live on helium. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that. It's your. I think your diluent is uh, in the rebreather, and somebody in the chat room can correct us. I think the diluent is your trimix, and then you you're adjusting with your oxygen. We have to look that up now because I know that the helium that you used to get the balloons filled with is mm-hmm. not the same percentage as oh, what no. we would be using. No, it's just uh, I've I've heard people argue about it that the uh, the balloon helium is perfectly fine. It just isn't filtered. Oh, really? But I thought it was different percentage. Well, it may be. I mean, they may um, you know stretch it. Hopefully, they get it under control. But then there you go. Just an advertisement for the uh, rebreather industry. 
It's a conspiracy, I tell you. Uh, a zebra mussel study takes high schooler to international science fair. Uh, this one's out of Texas. Lake Travis High School senior who researched a new way to kill zebra mussels on local lakes is presenting his research this week at the International Science and Engineering Fair, ISEF, in Phoenix. Jack Deli Santini won both regional and state science fairs to reach international competition with a project he started more than a year ago when he started scuba diving in Lake Travis. And you reach the bottom and there's just a wasteland of mussels down there, he said. I've always seen signs of zebra mussels but I've never seen anyone actually do anything about it. He decided he would do something. He started researching the invasive mollusks. Zebra mussels filter nutrients out of the water, depriving other organisms of what they need to thrive. Deli Santini thought he could use the mussels' gills against him, so he searched a common additive with through his dad as a biomedical engineer. Uh, carboxymethyl cellulose. CMC, known as cellulose gum, is used as a thickener in various types of cooking, in a, such as gluten-free baking. It remains viscous, even completely submerged in water. So Deli Santini theorized he could affect it would clog the muscles' filters and kill them. He liked the substance for other reasons, too. It's naturally biodegradable, genetically recognized as safe, or generally recognized as safe by the FDA. It's also biologically inert, meaning it won't affect the environment it's placed into. Once he got permits, he needed to collect zebra mussels. He donned his scuba gear and used a bucket and dive knife to scrape test subjects off the buoy at Windy Point on Lake Travis. He tested various creations of coating trays of zebra mussels he collected personally from Lake Travis and letting them silt for a few days. Higher concentrations left to sit for six days were the most effective at reducing the mollusk's ability to filter water, killing them. The top prize at ISEF had con contest among 1,800 students from 75 countries is $75,000, and there are many other smaller prizes up for grads. Regardless of what happens, though, he hopes to continue his research and findings and a valuable solution for zebra mussel problem in Central Texas. I'm hoping that something good will come of this, because it's definitely consumed a year of mine, and I'd like to see community take a little bit more action against zebra mussels. I, I like the things that Seems to make sense. But if it kills zebras, I can't imagine it wouldn't harm the native mussels also. True. Is it something that you could apply locally? I mean, he slathered it on. So it's not something it sounds like you could just cast. Like you couldn't just, could you be on the surface and sprinkle it down or this be something that you'd have to. Well, initially injected chlorine and our intake systems to help mm -hmm. basically kill them in the larvae stage. Yeah. And then uh, they changed to a different chemical using now. Can't, I don't remember what it is. There's another item that they talk about. The tiny pills are microcapsules laced with potassium chloride. They're using that in New England. But, yeah, yeah. find something. This the last little item. I'm like 2006. I do know that if you look at the uh, infestation rate over the last 20 years and look at it progressively from when it started to where it is now, it's every freaking. Yeah, he says he can make 50 liters of an effective concentration of CMC for about a buck 50. But how does that disperse in water? Is it heavier than water so it goes down and coats the bottom? He There's says it's of, an. 
it's enough to seal off and treat an infested pipeline. So he must be injecting it into the pipeline. I mean, while you're doing the treatment, I'm almost thinking that you can't be using the pipeline, could you? Well, yeah, we did that. We injected it through the intake pipes because that's where the flow rates come. Yeah, he says, in an open water scenario, it would be more challenging, Vance, he said, due to the flow of water moving solutions around. It's an issue that uh, encountered recently with trying to eliminate mussels from uh, Sister Grove Creek in north of Dallas. Department used that potassium chloride and it in place and moving water for 48 hours. It's difficult to do, but the solution was effective, killing all but a few stragglers. Hmm. Well, if he can make one, that would be great. I mean, the the price seems about right. Now, now watch it not pass for toxins, to, toxic reasons, but it's something that we can add to food that you eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, and and this is something that I've I've started to become more aware of. This next article, and. It's on the BBC News, and it says, when is the okay gesture not okay? And uh, if you want to, are wondering what the gesture is, it's, you know, in, in diving, we've got the, the okay where you, you know, you arc your arm and then you top the t- you touch the top of your head. And then the other one is, is like what we use when we're in the water, when it's you put your thumb and pointer finger together and then you have your three fingers up and that's the okay sign. And, um, I first became aware that this was thought to have a different meeting at the beginning of robotic season this year, because it was added to the rule books that your team could be disqualified if you did this symbol, but you had to do the symbol upside down and by your waist. So, uh, in this article, they're talking about, uh, France's Marie Le Pen on the far-right national rally is the latest politician to find themselves in hot water for singling that everything is okay. While visiting Estonia's far-right EKRE party, which just entered government, she made the ancient hand gesture in a selfie with the party's youth leader, Ruben Kalip. There's just one problem. The symbol's been widely used by white nationalists in recent years, and for many people's taken on a darker, darker meaning. I've never heard of the second meaning of this trivial gesture, Marine Le Pen said. But she has just come under criticism, with some asking how a political, a political leader could be ignorant of the major trend among far-right scene she operates in. From the ultra-far-right to American conservatives, the even the suspect in a mass murder, the symbols being used to troll the media and ruffle feathers. So when is a gesture not okay? And then here we get into a little bit of the details behind it. Internet trolls turned trendsetter. The entire saga started out as an online joke, taking an innocent and widely used gesture and pretending that there's a sinister hidden meaning behind it, hoping to trick the media and the left-leaning people into outrage. But the joke was so successful, a gesture so widespread among the far right and white nationalists that many believe the OK sign is changing meaning. It was even used in a court by a suspect of the Christchurch killing after he killed 50 people after opening fire on two mosques, bringing international attention as a genuine white power symbol. 
It began in 2007 on the infamous internet message board 4chan. Though its long, controversial lifespan, the site has been a source of many internet memes and jokes, but is a strong, right-leaning political audience. The hoax planned on 4chan was simple, to ridicule media by convincing reporters of a fake white power symbol. The posturing reasoning to be given is that they hand making the OK sign, the three straight fingers make a W shape, while the closed thumb and forefinger symbolize the letter P. It is widely successful in the popularity of the gesture used to mock left-leaning people or troll viewers exploded. In two years since, however, its constant use by right-wing or extremist individuals has turned the hidden meaning into a general connotation. The U.S. Anti-Defamation League puts it, by 2009, at least some white supremacists seem to abandon the ironic or satiric intent behind the original trolling campaign and use the symbols as a sincere expression of white supremacy. Many now consider the sign to be white nationalist's dog whistle, a signal only intended to underscore by those in the know, which makes it use in the current political climate a bit complicated. False accusations around most of the world, OK Stein still means what it always had, that everything's all, everything is fine. In some countries, however, the gesture is considered vulgar. It can have other meanings among young men. It's frequently used in the circle game, where making the sign below the waist and getting a friend to look at it entitles a prankster to thump said friend on the arm. Before the hoax tried to invent the alternative meeting, supporters of the U.S. President Donald Trump had frequently been photographed using the OK sign, a gesture in selfies which spread among the group. In the end, it can mean almost anything, as the U.S.-based Southern Poverty Law Center said in the explanation of the topic. The ADL, too, warns against jumping conclusions about the meaning, saying the overwhelming usage is still the traditional use. Someone who uses this symbol cannot be assumed to be using the symbol in the, either a trolling or especially white supremacist context unless other context evidence to support the connotation, the organization says in its educational material. Since 2007, many people have been falsely accused of being racist or white supremacist for using OK gesture in traditional and innocent sense. Context is key when that's why Estonia's ERKE, who Marie, Marine Le Pen was visiting in May, have come under fire. The group's two most prominent leaders, father and son, Mart and Martin Helm, both made the symbol of being sworn into office as they entered government. Mr. Helm, the senior, suggested the, that indigenous white Estonians are being replaced by immigrants, while son previously said, I want Estonia, Estonia to be a white country. But has also spread far outside politics. Chicago baseball team banned one fan from the stadium for making a sign on a television broadcast where the U.S. Coast Guard employee was pulled from duty for the same offense. What began as an online joke is transformed into a loaded gesture with very real consequences. Had you heard of this, Mac? Absolutely. And I am just one, I'm just glad that the uh, one finger salute of the bird has not changed. And anybody who thinks the okay is something different, that's my symbol to them. <laughs> so, so when we're diving, we just give the middle finger to say we're okay. No, I used my okay, but my point is anyone who would think that meant anything else, they can have the other. Yeah. Uh, Much ado about nothing. But see, I, I wasn't aware of this until about two months ago, and it was the context of that circle game they're talking about. I hadn't realized it had progressed from that to any use. Oh, yeah, it's really. Uh, I, I'm mad. I, I get Way I get beyond, up. way beyond. I, I get upset that people take things and then hijack them. 
I mean, I understand trolling the media can be fun, but this one's this is a little nuts. I keep thinking snowflake. You're thinking what? Snowflake. Snowflake. Yes, everything bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so just be aware of that if you're a diver underwater. Do now. Do we need to include this in our pre-dive briefings? You know, what is the OK symbol and what do you mean? I mean, well, I'm, I'm, I think you're going to get what I said before. <laughs> yeah. If you could, don't know your buddies by now, yeah. Well, and then, so, so, so do we? Do we need to write Patty and Nowie and everybody else and say, you know, are you going to change your material? Because you know that this is in the book. This is one of the hand signals that's acceptable in the online material. Well, it, it, it must it, be acceptable they, then for divers. In America, because it's written down in a very nice, polite fashion and explained what it means, so there's no ambiguity that if a diver is using it, he's not a gang member, he's not a white supremacist, he's simply a diver saying, "Yep, I'm okay." Uh, the chat room is saying the upside down "okay" symbol when held against your legs is a kid's game. If I do the symbol and you look at my hand, I get to punch you. See, and that's what they were talking about in the rule of circle game. But they didn't explain why you weren't allowed to do it anymore. Just if you were, you would be, your team would be disqualified. They're they're saying it's a white supremacist gesture, even though it isn't. That's what they're claiming it to be. And yeah. to avoid injuring someone's sensibilities, they're basically banning it where you can't do it because somebody might construe it as that. Which that's why I, I keep saying snowflake. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I just in life. I I think well, if it's so easy to create these troll memes, what you know, what do you, what do you, why don't we pick some things that I would like to that I would be okay with them hijacking? Because you you heard of like uh, was it Peppy the Frog or Lizard or whatever he is the cartoon? I don't think so, but continue. The uh, it was you know there was a cartoonist who came up with this character Peppy, uh, the frog, and uh, racist. I, I think it was racist. Shows I'm, I don't follow the racist culture. Uh, had hijacked it and it was meaning other things to the point to where the cartoon was being banned. So here you've got this poor innocent uh, cartoonist who makes a character gets hijacked by a part of the pol- uh, population. And now he can't, you know, he, he can't use it to earn a living anymore. Well, I don't but remember I think, any lizards or frogs in any yeah, of the Sunday comics lately. Uh, let me, let me, uh, I don't know if I can, you probably can't even. Uh, Mad magazine. They must not be able to use Mad magazine. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, here I'm gonna. I'm, we're pulling up the great big book of everything, the internet, and here I'm gonna give you the link in here. Well, like I say, so, Wikipedia, you can you can tell you can make it mean anything you want to. Yep. Yeah. Just uh, add did, it and edit it. Yeah. Did you? Uh, you can you see in the chat room? I pasted in in the live show chat. Can you see that? Or I'll paste it to both channels. Peppy. Uh, yep. So that's Peppy the Frog. Yeah, in 2016, the character's image had been appropriated as a symbol of a conservative alt-right movement. The Anti-Defamation League 
added certain incarnations of the Peppy the Frog to their database as hate symbols in 2016, adding that not all Peppy memes are racist. Since then, Peppy's creators publicly expressed dismay at Peppy being used as a hate symbol. Some people need to get a life. Yeah, in 2014, images of Peppy were shared on social media by celebrities such as Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj. As Peppy became more widespread, 4chan users began referring to publicly creative and unique variants of the meme as rare Peppies. These images, sometimes as physical paintings, were sold on eBay and postings on Craigslist. 4chan users referred to those using the meme outside the website as normies. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then, it, then they go on. So basically what it is, is if you can get, if you can upset people from a certain political persuasion, it then becomes illegal and bad to use. So can we, so can we get something, you know, and here we get, we're going off the scuba diving, but again, going from the, the original okay symbol. But can we get them to, to say things are bad that we don't like? Can we just troll them that way? I, I, they had a program the other night that was in the paper uh, where the people here in, in St. Joe were going to get together and have rational discussions of how can we have a rational discussion in the explosive environment we are in today. And during that, they realized that they cannot. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is in our backyard. What, yes, what this was is there, this was is. There a, was there a fist fight? No, no. It, but it was one of this that when people believe a certain way, it's so hardcore and ingrained that logic and and trying to discuss it in a logical pattern, there's too many trigger items, and people are just gone off the deep end. And it was interesting to read that article after, because I publicized it, this is what we're going to be doing, the purposes so we can have good discussions without, you know, using abusive language. And during this presentation, they realized that you can't (laughs) because people are so polarized in so many different areas. And one of the items is there's trigger items for almost everybody such as abortion or not abortion, uh, guns or no guns, wearing a helmet in your, in, on a motorcycle or not, why do I have to wear a seatbelt? It's, it, they are, it's really polarized. Yeah. yeah and it's, people it's, who believe one way cannot understand whatsoever how somebody could believe otherwise. Yep. Well, as a society, we're going to have to get over this because if we can't, then we're going to have problems. And I, and I think part of this is the, uh, you know, here, here, get on my soapbox. Uh, it's how we communicate with social media. Yes, you know, it is. If, if it, you had to put your name and your face, the real name and face, you wouldn't say what you said. Yeah. And you wouldn't be working. You may think it, anything you want. Just keep your mouth shut, do your job. And that's where it always has been. And it's a desire to be inclusive and part of a larger group. So you have to do virtue signaling. So I need to be able to broadcast to you what group I think I'm in <laughs> so that we all are part of the same group. So we've, what a particular political party or interest group will do is, is uh, come up with these terms. 
And if you use these terms, then it shows to me that you're part of that group that I'm in. And then you also have the converse that if people don't use those terms or use these alternate terms, then they must be in that other bad group, no matter whatever that bad group may be. Well, and, my uh, terms of endearment are easy. It's let's get wet. <laughs> yes. And if you don't want to get wet, then that's fine. Stay dry. Yeah. I'm easy. <laughs> well, no, but we need, but you've got cold water divers and warm water divers, and there's no way that we're able to agree. And you got the high visibility. Yeah. High visibility, low visibility. So, well, let's get back to scuba in the news. Uh, shipwrecks may help tropical fish adapt to climate change. As warming waters destroy reef habitat, sunken remains can provide refuge for marine life. This is covered in nationalgeographic.com. Uh, what they're referring to is that they're saying that uh, structured reefs right off our coast, such as shipwrecks, uh, are seeing larger quantities of colored fish that defy expectations. A new study in the National Communications Biology by Taylor and Avery Paxton, a marine ecologist who divides her time between NOAA and Duke University Marine Laboratory shows artificial deep water reefs off the coast of North Carolina increase the number of tropical and subtropical fish at the northern edge of the ranges. These findings have important implications for fishes in warming water. As ocean temperatures rise, artificial reefs may facilitate the movement of these species towards the poles, where they may be able to find habitat that is more suitable in the future. It matches up what we've seen anecdotally. Anecdotically. So it's nice to see a formal study of this, said Robert uh, Matori, a marine biologist with Southern California Department of Natural Resources. Are we surprised that fish like to find good environments so they can be protected in? I, I don't know of any diver who doesn't realize that or know that already. Um, and so what they're, what they're kind of trying to indicate in here is that these wrecks that have been making artificial reefs are could potentially be a um like a, allow these species to leapfrog and work their way up north where the water temperatures are more favorable. Um, I wasn't aware that fish would wait for a reef. I mean, if it's if it's wouldn't they naturally migrate with or without the reef? I would think so. Uh, I mean, the the reef is going to help them because fish like reefs. We see them in the Great Lakes, and you see it out in the uh, uh, oceans. Is its protection. So, anytime you're able to protect yourself, <clears throat> then that is a good thing for you. Uh, it says accidental and recreational reefs, rocky reefs like the one that occur naturally off the coast of North Carolina, function much like their coral reef cousins, but unlike tropical reefs which have underlying structure built by living coral, the skeletons of temperate reefs is made of rock or other non-living substrates. Said rock can take many forms. It can be as flat as a parking lot or a seafloor strewn with boulders. Still other temperate reefs form in the cliffs and ledges of the continental shelf. Supplementing these nature reefs are artificial reefs that range from shipwrecks to deliberately placed human structures, such as concrete pipes, bridge trusses, decommissioned tugboats, says... uh, Matore, who also runs the state's artificial reef program. Although popularity in artificial reefs has increasing in recent years, the idea isn't new. And they go on and explain how they 
all the way back to the 1800s, fishers were intentionally throwing logs in rivers to create habitat. Just like they toss Christmas trees in the lakes to give fish a place to spawn. Yeah. I've never seen, now that I think about it out loud, is a chart that would give the uh, depth of the ocean and then give proportionate to the aquatic life that is in that depth. My understanding is the deeper you go, the less life there is, even though there is life. Is that your understanding? Could you say that again? If you had water and it's five miles deep, at what strata level do you have the most abundant fish life? That would be one question. The second question is, are all fish, meaning when they spawn, is it in the shallows, which requires it to be hidden in some way so other fish or animals don't eat the eggs, which meant if you had a reef or a ship, you got some kind of shelter, hide it and yourself. At what depth does that stop? Do they breed in open water? One would think so. You know what I'm saying? I I do. I think it probably just depends on the species. I do too. The one thing that we are starting to see is that places we thought had no life actually do have life. Uh, Wherever there's an opportunity, either nutrients or protection or something, there is going to be an animal or or some creature biologically that is going to try to exploit that. Yeah, it will adapt. Like the hot vents that you see on the bottom, the great depth, they have marine life, but it's not a variety that you're going to find anywhere near us. Yeah. Nor could it live in a different environment. So I'm I'm not advocating uh, polluting or trying to intentionally change our environment, but uh, nature is pretty resilient and does try and come up with ways to adapt or take advantage of situations. So this, I was trying to, is this, it, it's one of those that it seems obvious? Is it just in, were they trying to tie this to climate change somehow? You know, I was saying, hey, that, you know, if, as climate change happens, this would be a way that these structures would help. I'm, I'm all for artificial reefs. You know, I, I would love to have more of them because we love diving on them. Uh, and, and you want to find fish, look for the reefs. We see that in uh, Michigan City there. I wouldn't, I've not looked at the chart again to see at what depth do the water level temperatures not change very much. I mean, if I'm in 5,000 feet of water, at what point does the stratification stop More constant temperature or very little bit? Um, I'm you know not- what I'm saying? Because out here, we were looking at the buoys the other day, and mm-hmm. it was almost the same temperature, 54 degrees on the surface. It was 48 at the bottom and 60 feet. Now, if you were 200 feet, how down, how far down did you go? That stratification, you know what I'm saying, of temperature. I've not seen charts on that. It'd be interesting to see that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I would believe at some point, because I, I know that submarines play around with the, uh, the layers. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I don't know, does there get to be a point? You know, when you're between 1,000 and 3,000, are those thermoclines there? Uh, 
and is is it are they going to be thermally driven or can they be you know pH driven they're also uh, current driven current yeah 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 cuz you you have what they they call that the great uh I mean, you've been in the thermocline where you can see it. You've got this, you're going down, and all of a sudden you're in oily-looking water, and then you go past it, and it's like, son of a gun, that drop. I can remember uh, reading books where the subs were talking about playing the thermoclines, and I played, you know, a submarine simulator where there are thermoclines, and I'm like, this just seemed so bizarre, until you see it as a scuba diver, it's hard to really connect with what a thermocline is. And And I still don't... I mean, I see that it's there, but there's a certain logic to me that says it shouldn't happen. You know, warm water should rise and cold water should sink. So why is that barrier persistent where you've, you it doesn't want to mix? Wouldn't that, the colder water from up above? Well, it's current driven. If you've seen the, the topo maps and the current patterns in Lake Michigan, current would be a big factor. Wave action, storms. So, so it, it's similar to the uh, weather fronts that we see here. <clears throat> it just happens to be at water, and it's uh, flipped uh, in a little bit of a horizontal orientation. And we're and we're generally used to thermoclines down to 120 feet. Do they have them past that? I've not noticed it. I'm not diving it. Yeah, that's the same. Not thing. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's some, that'd be something to look at. And then this next article, which is a press release, it says Blue Water Ventures International has begun site survey work off the coast of North and South Carolina. Uh, they are pleased to announce co- uh, completion of initial site survey has been conducted off the south, the, so- the south coast of South and North Carolina. Seven of 12 targets have been confirmed using side scan sonar along with Blue Water divers filming and recovery, certain shipping material to positively date the wrecks. Further research of historic uh, data de- uh, detailing certain shipwrecks will commence in order to better identify these sites. Survey operations will continue through the 2019 dive season, season as well as current recovery operations on the steamship Pulaski and steamship North Carolina wreck sites. Keith Webb, CEO of BWVI, states it's always a thrill to find X marks a spot. We've got a great crew this season. Everyone is excited to be back in the water. Or back on the water. Um, and the company engaged in business uh, conducting archaeologically sensitive recoveries of cargo and artifacts from shipwrecks. Its operation to date focused on shallow water search and recovery projects in less than 150 feet of water. The company is now expanding its focus to include deep water salvage, historic, and modern day shipwrecks. I'm. Is this something that is? What is the reason for this press release? I think. Are they trying to convince people to invest? And by the way, I don't. I don't invest in this company. Um, did I lose you, Matt? Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, I think this is more of an investment aspect because they yeah. they're obviously working with the state to get permission to dive and or recover, or they have ownership of the wreck and they're going to do something with it. But that aspect of X marks the spot. That means it'll be on a chart. And if you're taking groups out, that's great. You want to know where the, where the wreck is. We're doing the same thing, only we're trying to buoy them. So instead of X marks the spot, there's the buoy. We don't have to be looking for it. Dive it. It's an economic boon to the community. 
Yeah. And that's why we're trying to do it here locally. Sounds like they're doing it there also, but they're not booing it, but they're trying to put mm-hmm. names to the X's and they're also looking at it from making money out of uh, exploration and recovery of material. Yeah. Yeah, I went and visited their website and they've got some photos of different treasure they've brought up and stuff, and I'm assuming it's all legally recovered. Um, so, okay. Then kind of along the same lines, or maybe not so much, we have uh, the Manitoulin.ca website. It says, LaSalle's Griffin remains a mystery, but Discovery Channel finds a new shipwreck near Meldrum Bay. Uh so I don't know. I, I guess I probably should have given a spoiler warning before I said anything. Have you watched uh, Expedition Unknown? No. Most uh, of that, as we know, is hype. Yes. And it's always the same here. You know, now it's what? Hidden World War II gold. It's the yeah looking for the shipwreck gold so, here in, in so, Lake Michigan. Civil War gold, yeah. It's all, it's yeah. all but BS. Yeah. So if if you haven't watched that program and you you don't want any spoilers, then uh, you know skip ahead a little bit or or watch the episode and then come back. But uh, yeah, uh, the reason why I I covered this is is because they were talking about the Great Lakes and the Griffin shipwreck, but we also had uh, local uh, historians on the program. Yeah, Josh Gates, who's not necessarily local, I think he's out of New York. But you had, uh, let me see if they give the names here. Uh, yeah, maritime historian and author Chris Cole, who I believe is out of Canada. Miss um, Fosberg from uh, near Ni- Niagara Falls. Uh, and then they also had Valerie Van Heest from uh, MSRA. Uh, and they And they were going on, so. Um, and, and I'll let you read the article. I won't go all the way through it, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind the programs, even though I don't think this one was an exceptionally good one. I thought it was kind of, eh, uh, sometimes I think that they're just, they're filming something, hoping, hoping that something exciting happens. And, uh, I liked it just cause it showed the water conditions. So it, in, in one spot up probably, uh, uh, towards uh, Beaver Island, they had some pretty good visibility, and then a little bit later, they had some really crappy visibility. So that's what I—that's what I enjoyed seeing was just some diving, and they did find some shipwrecks uh, that were not documented. I—I'm going to say they were probably refound because where they found them, it seemed kind of obvious that there were yeah. shipwrecks there. So uh, it just might be their unnamed wrecks, because it also seemed kind of convenient that they were able to find them real quick. Oh, and then uh, they did have a sub that they were using on the lake. Right. Uh, Josh Gates. Yeah, Josh Gates is the the personality who's on these, and he goes all over the world for them. But they they were in a little three-person sub. And then talking about some treasure, Daniel Frank Sedwick may may treasure auction posts Two point zero five million dollars. A shipwreck recovered early Spanish colonial gold tumbar bar, lot nineteen one nine four, 
weighing 1.816 kilograms is marked with a fineness of 5.75 carats. Saw heavy interest during Daniel Frank Sedwick LLC treasure auction conducted online May 2nd to the 3rd. After spirited bidding concluded, the bar realized a price of 50575 on a $35,000 estimate. So that's like $15,000 over. The bar was one of 13 gold ingots recovered from the Tumbaga wreck, which sank around 1523 off Grand Bahamas Island. The surface of the bar bears a tax stamp in the name of Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor who ruled over Spain at the time. Uh, for silver bar, side-grade silver bar weighing 92 troy pounds, 3.84 troy ounces recovered from the wreck of the Atosha sank in 1622 off Key West, Florida, sold for $57,715 on a $30,000 estimate. The bar was graded class factor one, the highest grade given to Akosha silver bars, despite spending 300 years on the ocean floor. Two other class factor one bars weighing uh, 76 troy pounds or 10.24 ounces and 60 troy pounds, 7.86 troy ounces sold for $575 on an estimate of 25000 47600 from an estimate of 20000 respectively. Is I was not aware that precious metals, no matter their form, I mean, unless you've got like King Tut's mask, really brought much more than the value of the gold. Well, like you said, there's numistic value, and then there's the bullion value. And that way, if you're if you're doing coinage for the apocalypse, <clears throat> you do not want numistic coins. You want, you know, straight gold or silver in small quantities that are negotiable. Right. Mystics so you, is whatever the, the buyer, whatever you can get somebody to pay. Right. Yeah, your, your numistic value is going to be, in the, in the time of tragedy, it's only worth whatever the precious metals are. So I'm Absolutely. kind of surprised that these were going so high, unless you had a collection and you needed it for that particular reason. But when I look at the gold bar, I wouldn't mind having one just because it's gold and because it was on a shipwreck, but I don't necessarily think I would be dropping a ton of money in it. I'd buy a Cougarand before I'd buy that. Yeah. Unless I was absolutely a billionaire, then I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a billionaire. But that's that's even a bad deal. I mean, unless, because you, I don't know. Just buy, like you said, buy the Cougarand. Whenever you say Cougarand, I think of the, uh, Lethal Weapon movies, though. <laughs> Probably dating myself right there. New technology searches for the Great Lake shipwrecks. Uh, Thunder Day, sun, oh, goodness, what time is it? It's almost, a, it's, we're getting close to 11. Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary is collaborating with Dr. Bob Ballard's Ocean Exploration Trust to map unexplored areas in northern Lake Huron with multi-beam sonar. Deploying autonomous surface vehicle ASV from the University of New Hampshire Center for Coastal and Ocean Mapping. The mission is focused on mapping unexplored, expanded sanctuary areas of the gold, discovering new shipwrecks, identifying shipwreck locations to support ongoing exploration and management. Project begin May 6th and ends Friday. Wow, they're, not, they're hoping to get a lot done quickly, I guess. It's expensive. Uh, yeah, I guess. And you probably only could only get the the ship for so long. 
says much of the mapping occurs off the shores of Prestique Isle County, but on Saturday, May 11th, the ASV, also known as the Ben Bathomeric Explorer Navigator, traveled south to Alpena to survey Thunder Bay River during the sanctuary's annual ROV competition. Students from across Michigan undertook their own underwater exploration missions in the Marine Technology Testing Tank. ASV Ben is operated from a mobile lab on shore and provided an opportunity for students and public to see cutting-edge technology and action also interacting with visiting hydrographers, surveyors, and other marine scientists. So I think I got conned into reading a press release. <laughs> I was thinking there was some more detail here, but this really didn't. All it said is that the, it was up there for a couple of weeks, and that's about they were just going to do some scanning. So. I mean, good. I hope they find something, but yeah, I guess it costs money. Now, maybe they could find something like this. Lost item found in a 130-year-old shipwreck could be worth millions of pounds. Paintings by famous Russian artists lost in a shipwreck over 124 years ago could be worth a few coins. The paintings were by renowned artist Ivan. Oh, I had to find a name that's mispronounced to this week. Ivan is fine. Ivan Ivazovsky, who is considered one of the greatest masters of marine art. Several of his valuable works were lost in the Gerald Kutzbue steamship, which ran, a, which sank off the coast of Crimea in 1895. Last year, the wreckage was discovered by divers from Russian Neptune underwater exhibition with 10 paintings. Uh, it is thought that Ivan gave the crew his paintings after traveling on board their vessel. An expedition was planned earlier to recover the items, but it was stopped over fears they'd become more damaged. Uh, He was born in Crimea Crimea, and died in 1900, depicting naval life. In recent years, wealthy Russian oligarchs have bought his work, which has increased its value. One of his most famous works, A View of Constantinople and the Bosphorus, was sold at Sotheby's for a record 3.2 million pounds. After finding the vessel in 2008, senior researcher told Russian news agency that it could have been used as a merchant ship. Discovered vessel, presumably dating back to the second or third centuries, rests at a depth of 85 meters, and this is its wooden carcass. Neptune Expedition was sponsored by a fund of Russian presidential grants on the project Crimea and the Crossroads of Civilization. The expedition aim was examining objects spotted by archaeologists in the Black Sea and looking for new artifacts. Scientists on the expedition found the iron anchor that helped conclude the time period of the vessel. Uh, he said the scene of the shipwreck was with a mast of the diameter more than a half a meter. The vessel was 22 meters long, 6 meters wide, and conformed to round ships used in the Roman era as merchants. Well, hopefully his paintings, he didn't use watercoloring. <laughs> no, and, and that's what drew me to this article. Is I'm thinking, can it hold up? Uh, are they? I mean, how are they mounted? Are they mounted on a regular frame, or were they rolled up in a tube? Uh, I, I'm not sure about paints. If how well they hold up submerged. I'm just picturing slime rolls off it. I mean, how much is a? Uh, uh, you know, a piece of canvas worth with no paint on it anymore. Again, when they have it up, 
and then they can prove it's worth that. That'll be a different story. Yep. Wow, we had a full docket there. So that does it for Scuba the News. Let's see. Mac, do you have anything this week you'd like to cover? Oh, uh, actually, I do. Hang on a second. Let's find it. Now. Always, I put it up. Ah, oh, here we go. I always like to do the, you know, lessons learned, this kind of stuff, because, you know, how often do you see yourself there? And uh, this is a relatively old one, but as I read through it, it's like it's it's not an old item that can happen. So I'm going to go through here. It's called Cozumel Incident, but Lesson Learned. Started out by a guy writing this, and he says, First of all, I suck a lot of air. I swim. I take pictures. So I'm just a big dog on my air. My wife and I were in Cozumel back in November. First trip and first experience at ocean diving and my first in over 10 years. We did a pre-dive at a local lake to check on buoyancy, refamiliarize ourselves with diving. Some friends of ours who have been diving quite a while recommended a dive master to use. We contacted him and went out on a medium-sized boat, quite a few other folk, but he was basically our dive master. He goes over the dive plan. We settle on nothing over 80 feet, come up with 700 pounds of air, and we set out on a dive. He mentions they've seen some black tips, sharks, so we go with the group over to that area. We're cruising around in some sea eagle rays, and behold, black tips appeared. But he kept going deeper. We were we followed him, thinking, A, he's the dive master, and B, he's here to look out for us. I see we're at 87 feet or so, and I was we're doing okay. I check a few minutes later, 116 feet. Needless to say, I was a little irritated. We continue to dive, and my ear gets to 1,000, and I tell him. And when I'm at 700, I tell him. At 500, I tell him. 200, I tell him. And literally put the gauge in front of his face. We finally do our safety stop, and I'm standing right beside him. And by the end of it, I'm breathing off his octo. No biggie. I'm comfortable. Life is good. Suddenly, he drops the weight, looks at me, points at the surface, takes off to get the weight. I'm a little confused as his regulator is pretty much pulled from my mouth. I swim down, catch up with him, get one more breath, and he points up again. Then I see my wife above me and know she has hair, so I frantically swim up to her and I'm continually breathing out. I take one more breath off her regulator and then shoot to the surface. The takeaways. One, the dive master is a guide. Don't rely on them 100%. If he hadn't been there, I would have done my safety stop, then ascended to the surface with around four to 500 minimum pounds of air. However, I assumed the mindset that he'll take care of me to overrule my common sense. His comment then was, don't be me, lessons learned. And then he said, well, my thoughts on the matter. One, why did he take us so deep when we talked about 80 was my limit? Number two, why did he ignore my air issue when he was fully aware of the situation? Why didn't he simply ascend with both my wife and I and head back down for the wait later? I confronted him after the dive, and his only response was, hey, we had a great dive, saw a lot of neat stuff. Do this next dive with me, and I'll really take good care of you. Uh, hell no. <laughs> you kind of freaked me out, you know, which doesn't happen often. And you thoroughly scared my wife, who honestly haven't seen me truly scared since we've been together. 
And then he continued, any thoughts are appreciated. I think I've learned my lessons from the die, but willing to hear others and their input on this item. What could I have done different? I've been to Cozumel a few times and have always had great experiences until now. And then he talks about who he dove with. And uh, my comment, has that ever happened to you? And why would it ever happen to you if you have planned your dive? And looking through some of the responses to this, bottom line was this. To me, it was also. If you thought you were too deep, you should have signaled ascend and level off and then done it. If you thought it was time to ascend, you should have signaled that and started your ascent. Unless your DM, your dive master, was going to abandon you, he'd have followed you and your wife. So when it comes down to it, you are responsible for yourself. Each diver must know they're responsible for their plan, its execution, their equipment, and their safety. Don't depend on your buddy or even your dive master. Yeah, I I agree. You are your best advocate, not only in diving, but anything that you're doing. I'm not saying don't listen to advice, but that's what the pre-dive plan is for. If I was at 117 feet and I looked at my gauge and it had 500 pounds of air, yeah. It's like, hasta la vista, baby. I'm going that way. I, I don't he, understand. He must be good at watching. air management. He must be good at air management because if I was at 500 at that depth, by the time you got to your safety stop, I'd have been out. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 like and I wouldn't have been down there without my bailout. No. But the, 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 anytime anything goes against the plan, then you're not following the plan and you need to stop the dive. I mean, that's, right. And like that's, we always talked about too, you plan your dive for the least experienced mm-hmm. diver there. And if not, well then you guys go together as a group and dive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't, don't do a mixed bag because you're going to make the other guys who are really experienced like, damn, I just lost lots of time. I could have done this, that, and the other. No, you, you, you go with the low man. Yes. But yeah. what would you have done? If you'd have got at 117 feet, showed him your gauge, you had 500 pounds, would you continue to follow that so-and-so? No, no. I would not have. But if we had said 80 feet and he went down to 115, I would have stopped it right there. I'd have been knowing before I got to 115. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're responsible for your error, your depth, your time. That's all your responsibility. The, the dive master should be as conservative or more so than you are. But if for some reason he's not, you don't want it to go the other way where you're as uh, unsafe or as, as your dive master may be. Yeah, this came from scuba board on comments, and this was a couple of years old, but the comments yeah. really ranged the gamut. Uh, and the key item was, the purpose there was not to identify what group or the guy's name. It's what would you do and what should you have done? And the comments basically are just what we said. Every diver is responsible for their plan, execution, equipment, and safety. Yeah. yeah. In this particular case, from the sounds of it, he only had two divers he was responsible for. But that's, that's I, from my understanding, that's rare. Usually, if you have, you have anybody in the water, it's only one. And it's for the whole group. So if you've got 20 people in the water, 
and it's a like a charter operation, he's not looking out for you specifically. He's he's leading the group. And right, and, and Judge, a, on, a, on a cattle boat, I think you're correct. But yes. the whole key item here is we contacted him. He was basically our dive master. Right. Obviously, he was not. No. But I just can't believe somebody would look at a tank and say, I've got 500, and then continue to follow him until he's got 200 pounds. And it's like, I I, I just don't understand that. And he's not inexperienced. No. Well, and, and here's the thing with air. I mean, so say he's the best dive master in the world and you trust him completely and you're down at 200 pounds, who's to say he's got enough air to bail you out? I mean, this particular case, it sounds like that he was able to buddy breathe off him. But Until he left him. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but, who, but who's to say that, you know, if you're going down, you, whatever air, I mean, the rule of thirds, really. I mean, you, you should have been coming up. Uh, yeah, it just, it, you're responsible. I mean, that's, that's all it is. I mean, I would be mad at him, but you need to be more mad at yourself because. Yeah. Uh, or letting someone else take over your life. Yeah. That's a good article. I like that one. I do too. But then again, how often have we found ourselves referring to the experienced person when your limits have been exceeded? And that's why we always preach it. You don't do it. That's when you give him that gesture I talked about earlier on your way up. Yeah. Well, and, and there's been situations that I would say would be lighter versions of I've, you know, we, we've done dives and say it's Havana or Lake 16. And beforehand you say, what are we going to do? We're going to go out to the snowmobile or the boat, or we're going to go up this line and that line. And I've been on times where you're, you're going with a group and you get to a turn point where you agreed to, and they keep going. So there's that point where I know my way back, but crap, you know, Maybe he saw something that I might be interested in, or I don't want to go back by myself. I'd rather dive with a group. I was, I can remember, it's got to be 30 years ago. It's a long time. Dive into Cedarville back when she was in shape. And I went down with a party of two more people and the visibility wasn't great that day. And uh, we got separated. So I go to the tie-off point. And wait, and I wait, <laughs> and I'm looking at my my stuff, and I I come up, you know, with my air and all that, wondering where the hell they are. I come up, they're already on the boat. Because <laughs> you know, they got down, they got spooked, they came up, and you know, and it's like, well, that learn, you know, it's one of those items. If you're going to be with a group, you stay with the group. Yes. And if it's low vis, then you either get that, you know, the stick method or the have a lanyard so you, you know, you're you can find each other. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, if but, you're diving yeah. with a group and you're you, you got to be in a group, you got to be yeah, be with, be the group, be the group, be a buddy. Uh, and that's something as a as a, a non rookie divers it can be a little bit tough because uh, that distance away from your dive buddy can get a little bit longer than it should be. Uh, especially in low visibility conditions. Cause we, we get to that where like when we're doing a river dive. Fortunately, really, when we're doing that river wise, we're usually very shallow. Right. So that aspect, it's, it's not 
to the same extent, I, a major issue airwise. Yeah, but but it's that kind of that condition. The visibility so low, yeah. that it's it's really a solo dive. You're all going in at the same time, and at some point you're going to come out, but you're really not necessarily diving with a buddy. And uh, another situation where that that uh, happens is uh, when we did the uh, shark teeth dive in the Cooper River. Yeah, I mean, unless yeah. you were holding hands, you there was you had no hope of staying with your buddy. Yeah, that's you know when they say you got to be open water, you got to be used to blah blah blah. They seriously meant it, and if you didn't think they did, as soon as you were off that boat by yourself in that current till you yeah. went thump on the bottom, you were probably saying, maybe I don't want to do this again. No, no, that was uh, that was one where the minimum recommendations were just that they were minimum. I, I would even think that uh, as much as I love that dive, uh, I would not, if, if you're less than 100 dives and you're not seasoned river diver, low visibility solo diver that is not the dive for you but it was a blast i would do that again as a second i would do things a little different but yeah 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 well if you're enjoying the show which we hope you are if you could uh, drop by whatever website or platform you listen to the the program on and give us one of those five-star reviews we'd appreciate it and if it wouldn't cause too much harm or pain we could certainly use your support uh, go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to our Patreon link. $3 or more gets you ac- early access to our show notes. And it'd certainly be appreciated. Keeps us on the air. Helps cover costs of hosting and the websites and everything else that goes along with the program. Um, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. On Twitter, at scubaobsessed. You can leave comments to us, uh, the show at scubaobsessed.com. And there's also the uh, form on the website, which I went and realized that I'm getting so much spam from it, I'm, I'm ignoring it. So if you send us anything that way, make sure that uh, you send it to us about once a week because I am probably pretty bad at looking at that form. I need to come up with something to filter that spam. It's I'm getting about 100 contacts a day. And I was so good at ignoring them, I didn't even realize it. <laughs> so uh, there you go. We have our fan map. You look around the Scuba Obsessed website, Scuba Obsessed fans, and there's a little link there. And you can see all over the world that everybody is listening to the program, and we certainly appreciate our listeners. Uh, and if I can do it here without it taking too much time, I'm going to see if we can pull up uh, our last app episodes statistics and maybe see what some of the more unique places people are visiting from. So, oops, here I am. So the, the number one, I would say if the country speaks English as a primary language, they are in the top of our group. So just here in the last week alone, uh, it is U.S. is first and listens, then Australia, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So it's the top four, but then number five. Could you guess what number five is, Mac? Uh, let's see. No. <laughs> it is Saudi Arabia. Excuse me? 
Saudi Arabia last week with 50 downloads just from Saudi Arabia. I wonder if they're expats. I, I, I would almost have to think so, but, uh, you know, and we're seeing that uh, the Middle East, uh, especially the affluent countries, uh, India and China are big growth areas for scuba diving. Uh, number six last week was Ukraine. Uh, number seventh was New Zealand. Then we had Japan, Jersey, which I'm guessing that's a country. Or is that is Jersey like part of the UK? Isn't it? Um, Belgium, Spain, Germany, Indonesia, Netherlands, Sweden, Hong Kong, Italy, South Africa, Chile, Denmark, Romania, Thailand, Ireland, Singapore, Malaysia, China, Laos, France, Lebanon, Philippines, Russia, Argentina. Uh, I can't even pronounce this one. Is that Meredith, Nigeria, Norway, Portugal, Mozambique, Mexico, Switzerland, Finland. And that was just last week's downloads. The club site was getting so much spam, and I'm talking uh, the last record before we deleted everything was 5,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, we put spamware up on that now, and that has cleaned that mess up big time. But you were getting it from China, India, Pakistan, some in the Ukraine, that's where all the spam, the majority of thousands and thousands of items. Yeah. Yeah. Spam, spam comes from all over. Um, one, one of the biggest countries is the U.S. and Canada, but uh, Russia and Ukraine is common for spam as well. And really what they're doing when you're, when you're looking at spam is it's the bot networks that have been taken over. So that may not be the source of the spam, but that's where the email is coming from that or the message is coming from that the systems is blocking. So, so that's just some ideas. If uh, we certainly appreciate your support and hopefully we keep this up. We're what? 405 episodes. Who'd have thought we'd been going this long before we get on to that time of the show. Is there anything you would like to plug Mac? No, but uh, Rex are being dove. The iron oh, yeah, has been dove. Ann Arbor yeah. five has been dove. Uh, obviously Lake 16 is very popular because Get blown off the lake, go to 16. Wow. Uh, I'm hoping yep. to be in the water in Pawpaw uh, Saturday. So if anybody out there wants to go diving Saturday, Pawpaw, mm-hmm. let me know. I'll be uh, – my wife likes me to go right now because it's still dry suit. So mm-hmm. that means i got to have somebody with me so I can't go by uh-huh. myself. <laughs> There's a method in her madness. <laughs> uh, but the river, you can forget the river. It is fast and nasty. And dark. <laughs> the the chat room's making fun of me. Uh, <laughs> I did say affluent countries, not affluent. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so if your country is filled with waste material, and <laughs> that's, I, I apologize. Uh, I'm not known for my pronunciation. I guess that's why my. My high high paying career in voiceovers never quite took off. Oh, I, I saw the boat now. That's a nice looking little speedboat. Yeah, Did it have a motor on it. Yeah. Nope. So where was that, Eric? Uh, that we're we're look we're chatting with people in the chat room. Yeah, I see he's got a nice steering wheel. That's Gull Lake. Is that the ice boat? I don't think so. 
Which side were you on, Eric? Prairieville. Okay, Prairieville. that's the okay. that's the one up by the other part. Yeah, I, I don't think I've boat launch part. Yeah, I don't think I've been up to the Prairieville part. I mean, anytime they've gone diving, I've usually normal. Well, generally they go up there now because there's no boat traffic yet. So yes. that's a good safe time. Yeah, you got to do it early, that one. early or late in the season. Right, right now we're probably starting to get uh, where the traffic's starting to pick up. Now I did get my gear together, so I'm starting to get everything organized where I can actually do some diving. And uh, the critters have gotten to me again. Uh, if you remember, I had the problems with the uh, the caterpillars. Yeah. This time it's the mice, and I and I I need to pressure test everything. But on my BCD, the rubber, which is on the straps that go to the tank, yeah, they didn't bite through it, but they nibbled the edges. So it's like scallop marks, consistent the whole end, all along it. I mean, it's 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 a bizarre. I should take a photo of it. I I have my stuff in plastic tubs, even in my basement. You might want to invest in a couple of those. Well, I do. I I just didn't have the, my beast. You know, I'm kind of torn between because it's got to be dry. So a lot of times I'm hanging stuff out and it was drying, and then I just I didn't put that single piece in a tub and the mice just decided they would modify it for me, decorate it a little bit. So yeah, I, I don't think it's damaged anything critical, but it is a little annoying. Damn mice. Annoying. Annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be so bad, but I've got like a farm load of cats around here. I've only got in the basement, uh, one, two, three, four cats in my house. You know, it was under 3,400 square feet, so this is crazy that I should have a mouse problem. But do, I, do, I have... Do you really I've, like your cats? Not really, <laughs> not right now. I'm about to be fired. Darn cats. Oh, so... And and I, I've seen them chase mice. They Like, the outdoor cat, he's, he's great. But, I mean, you know, 40-some acres around here, he's not going to... He's, he's, he's like a lone soldier, but the indoor cats, they've got a little bit less uh, per capita that they need to be doing to be fed and they're not living up to their means. I see that uh, the dive bell on the Prairieville side is different. Did you see the picture? I do. And I, and that's, um, I haven't seen what, that. Is that a before. hammock under there? Is that for resting? Do you <laughs> fling yourself in there? That's what it looks like, doesn't it? It kind of looks like the, a Gilgan's Island version of Dive Bell, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I, I, I so need to get in the water. Um, my my honey-do list is getting a little shorter, so I'm hoping I can get I can get caught up here and get some diving in. Ah, uh, tarp to stop silt out. Oh, it's those rookie divers they're combating. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully you, you support your librarians and your little museums um is there is there anything else we need to plug i did a presentation at the morton house oh excellent that went over very well and again part two yeah that was a second series uh i have one more for them they may do that we'll probably do that next year and it's be what lies beneath in this case it'll be the saint joe river um 
And I'll be putting more out on it later, but we still have, I believe it's September the 28th. It's going to be the big one presentation by Taurus Lysenko ah. on the uh, aircraft carriers of Lake Michigan, including the salvage of the aircraft and maybe some more information on the status of the UC-97 because they wanted to salvage that and actually bring it up. So we might mm -hmm. have some details on that. It's also going to be a book signing. Yeah. Uh, right now we're anticipating having some books available there you can purchase. So that'll be the 28th of September. I I really am expecting a good crowd. It'll be at the uh, Benton Harbor Airport. And, uh, hope to see people there. Yeah, and we'll try and get him on once his book's out. I think his publicist will let him speak again. Oh, absolutely. So we'll we'll be able to get him on the program and hear some more from him. You can, if you want to see who we're talking about, look back through the old episodes. We've had uh, Taurus on before, and he's always interesting. Yes. So I think we're to that time of the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. So in the interest of uh, uh, tribalism and segregating groups, we will do this joke in that spirit. <laughs> so here we go. Jack, rugged diver from the cold waters of the Midwest, just back from a wreck dive, walked into a sports bar around 9.58 p.m. He sat down next to a warm water diver at the bar and stared at the TV as the 10 p.m. news came on. The news crew was covering the story of a man on a ledge of a large building preparing to jump. The warm water diver looked at Jack and said, do you think he'll jump? Jack said, you know what? I bet he will. The warm water diver said, well, I bet he won't. Jack placed $30 in the bed on the bar and said, you're on. Just as the warm water diver placed their money on the bar. The guy did a swan dive off the building, falling to his death. The warm water diver was very upset and handed $30 to Jack saying, fair is fair. Here's your money. Jack replied, I can't take your money. I saw this at five o'clock news and knew he would jump. The warm water diver said, well, I did too, but I didn't think he'd do it again. Jack took the money. And believe it or not, there's people like that out there. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the story could have changed. Yeah, yeah. It's the darn media. That's the guy you don't want to be following on that wreck at 110. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now, we're going to come up uh, when we have 500, 500 pounds. Only 87 feet. Yeah, I, and I'm only in the second deck, third level. I, I know I can get back out. Yeah. Even though my flashlight went out. <laughs> I can't find the tagline. But I'm okay. Yeah. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Craig either. It's true. That's a highlight.